0: You're listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington DC, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. We are so excited to be here. My wife, Ansley's here, and my kids got to come up uh, to D.C. this weekend. It's our fall break, so it just worked out great. We love uh, Pastor Ben and Donna and the team and all that uh, they are building here uh, in in D.C., and so when they asked to come up, and it was our fall break, I always like, oh, we should just spend a couple days, and it's fall, and so thank you for delivering on, like, the best weather of all time. We really appreciate that, you know, coming from Hotlanta, and so— uh, it's just so good to be here. And, you know, I love to travel. Obviously, I haven't done a ton of that, but I, in most of my adult life, I've had a rhythm of traveling. And going to the airport, uh, I just, it was in my flow. In fact, one of my greatest airport experiences was here in D.C. Uh, I, we were here, I, I was here in the morning, uh, had lunch, and then I had a, like a three o'clock flight. But everyone's like, oh, D.C., it's better than Atlanta. You can just like basically get there whenever you want, and you can walk... And And so like, I really, I was pushing that, but it was like cherry blossom season in the traffic, you know what I'm saying? And so I, I, my feet hit the sidewalk at 2.42 for my three o'clock flight and I made it. Thank you very much. So what I say that I, I, I really do, I have this, like, flow in the airport and all this kind of stuff, and it almost becomes like wallpaper, uh, just the experience of going and flying, and obviously times have changed, and that shifted a little bit for me, but coming up here, uh, just fr- we came up on Friday... And my kids have gotten to travel a little bit, but they don't, like, you know, they've actually been here to D.C. We came up for Easter probably a couple of years ago, and it's like a core memory for them now. So whenever they think about Easter, they don't think about, you know, the Easter Bunny or whatever. They think about, like, the empty tomb equals our nation's capital. Like, that's... You are part of their core memory. So thank you for that. Uh, but but they, don't re- they remember going to DC or going to Disney World or going to wherever, but they don't remember how they got there. So they don't remember what it's like to fly on a plane. And so uh, I've got an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old. And so going to the airport on Friday, it was like everything was like, whoa, wow, you know, like pulling into the parking lot. Right? Like getting into the parking lot was so crazy because you're like, look at that plane. Do you see there's like planes everywhere? And I'm like, yeah. There are planes everywhere. That's, that is pretty cool. And then in, in Atlanta, they they put these new bridges that you can walk across, like where the traffic drops you off. And there's this big thing, kind of like this, and it's like light, it lights up, and it's it's really kind of cool. And it was like, whoa, I haven't seen. Look at all these lights. So it's all like, yeah, it's pretty cool. I never noticed it, you know. And then we go to check our bags, and they're like, whoa, Dad, you just like give them your bag. And I'm like, yeah, it's an act of faith. You say, <laughs> I trust. You know, believe, kids, and um. And so then you know we we go through security and you're thinking what is awesome about security but you forget there's an X-ray machine it's security and it can look inside your bag and find that bottle of water that you forgot about and so you know we move to we get to an escalator right and no one was excited about that that was actually the tension in our story you know going through the airport because everyone's like crying and like ah you know it's moving and um and so, but we made it we made it and then um, in Atlanta it's pretty cool we have a plane train. And I just think that's fun to say. And, um, and so we get on the train, and my three-year-old looks up at me, you know, and, and through his little mask, and he's, like, uh, he's like, I thought we were getting on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I, Dad, obviously this is a train. Uh, you, you've messed things up. I was like, yes, it's taking us to the plane. It's why it's called a plane train. Um, And so anyway, we finally get on the plane and we're looking out the window and we're doing all the things. We take off and it's amazing. It's like, whoa, there's the ground, all that kind of stuff. But here, even this is like, like their eyes are, their their mind is being blown, like every step of the way. And um, Ansley and and Shiloh, our six-year-old, are in this seat. And then I'm in the row with my uh, three-year-old's right here, my eight-year-old's right here. And my eight-year-old, Anna Jean, she like, she can read, right? So she's like doing the screen. She's finding the movie. She's like, okay, Disney, cool. I got all these, look at this, this is my own personal selection. My three-year-old looks over and goes, whoa, that's cool. (laughs) And then he starts like, working the thing. And it's like, I have my own personal, I don't have to watch what you want to watch. Like we can all watch our thing. Like everything about the experience was blowing their minds. And all of a sudden me who've experienced, everything was kind of like wallpaper. I'm now seeing air travel through a whole new set of eyes. And I'm hoping and praying today that you may have come into church. You might have been a part of this thing. You might have heard messages. You might have sung the songs. But I'm hoping and praying that as we gather today and as we meet, that you would see Jesus with a whole new set of eyes today. And it wouldn't be like wallpaper to you. It wouldn't be rote and routine. It wouldn't be uh, just this, this ritual thing that we do every single week. But that you would come into this place and that you would see Jesus with a new sense of awe and wonder. And uh, I'm so excited to, to step into this Kingsing, uh, this, this series uh, through First Samuel, and I, I love it. A couple of weeks ago, Ben uh, just talked about Samuel and how God raised up a man of God uh, to, to help, help lead the, the people. And then last week, we talked about the tragic hero, Saul, and, and how the people had said, hey, this is our guy. He looks great. He looks great. But unfortunately, he did not have the character to uphold the calling that was on his life, And so uh, Ben began to introduce this, 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 this new person to us, this, this young boy named David. And I know that over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into his life and we're going to see all that God has done through him. But so much of the Old Testament is devoted to David's life for a reason. Uh, so much of the story of the Old Testament is devoted to him. He had a lot of victories in his life and he also had a lot of valleys. Uh, he definitely had his issues, Right. Like really, David and most of the characters in this book, they did not have it together. But God poured out grace on David's life and he used him in powerful ways. And there was one thing that defined his life that actually was the thing that, that, uh, that when you look at the life of David, this was the, the, the thing about his life, the reason why God elevated him. Uh, it's not all his achievements. It's not all that he accomplished. It's not the pitfalls and the ups and downs of his life. But there was one thing that remained consistent in his life. Ben talked about it last week. It's that David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a worshiper. And I believe that this is the key to David's life and legacy. This idea that David loved God. That even though when he, he messed up and he went sideways and he did all these things, he always came back to God. God was central in David's life. And how do I know that? How do I know that David loved God, that he was a worshiper? Well. We have access to his journal, right? Like the book of Psalms. I know what you're saying. If I die, burn my journals, right? (laughs) Like You're like, don't look at my journals. But we have access to David's journal, and it's the book of Psalms. And that's what we want to open up um, Psalm 30 today and to take a look at one of these Psalms. But the book of Psalms is a really beautiful and poetic book uh, that, that gives us insight into the worship of David and really the worship of God's people. David and a lot of other writers contributed uh, to this book. And it has these big, grand, you know, it certainly has these big, grand declarations of God's uh, goodness and his faithfulness, the character of God, all these things. But I love the book of Psalms, too, because it actually has some, like, real, heartfelt, honest, human prayers to God. Like like in Psalms, it would say things like, God, where are you right now? What are you doing right now? Have you ever prayed something like that? Have you ever cried out to God and say, I have no idea what's going on? You're not the first one to pray that prayer. It was already written down in here. And so that's what's awesome about this book is it gives us language to interact with God. It's It's people like David's love and devotion in his journey with God, and it helps us see the heart, and the nature of who God is. It's good for us to see how David worshiped because you are also a worshiper. Did you know that? I know a lot of us gathered in this place to come and worship God today, and but you know, chances are high that whether you're here in the Howard or you're watching online today, that there are people here that are like, I'm, I wouldn't so, go so far as to say that I'm a worshiper of God. I may be checking this out. Uh, I'm asking some questions. I, to be honest, I don't even know how I got into this space today, but I don't think I would go as far as to say that I'm worshiper. I'm not a creative. I don't have the hair of John Harkey. You know, like, it's like, I don't know necessarily, that's not me, but you and I, every single one of us in this place today were made to worship someone or something. And the way that you find out what you worship is you trace your time, your energy, your talent, what you spend your money on what drives you what motivates you where you go to to find satisfaction i would argue that's the thing that you worship because that's the thing that means the most to you because you're saying i i love this i'm being, i'm orienting my life maybe for you it's your career it's your accomplishments, it's your resume. And so every decision that you make is, so How how is this gonna play? How is this gonna look? If I make this move, this happens. If I make this move, this happens. And at the end of the day, I've gotta make sure that I look really, really great. And so then I would argue that maybe you are at the center of your worship. So you're a worshiper, you're just worshiping you. Or you're worshiping a career or you're worshiping a party, or you're worshiping a way of life, whatever that thing is. And for many of us, we settle, so many of us, we settle for lesser things. And so the, this is where all the problems in our life come is that we, we, we try and put all our hope and all our trust and all our worship towards something that really isn't worthy of, of that worship. And so we're let down. And that's when we get anxious. And that's when things get uncertain for us, is that we're trying to worship something that's not worthy of it. But if we set our heart and our mind and our lives on Jesus, we will find that he alone is worthy of our worship. So today, we're gonna look at Psalm 30. And in Psalm 30, we're gonna see from David, he's gonna tell us about what God has done in his life. And as he does that, he calls up the people to come and to worship God. So let's take a look at it. Psalm 30. Uh it's, it's not many verses, so we're gonna read all of them. Are you guys up for it? Okay. That was that was good. Let's get wild, DC. Let's get wild. Are you up for looking at Psalm 30? Yeah. There we go. I knew you had it in you. That coffee's kicking in. All right, let's read it together. Psalm 30 verse 1. I will exalt you, Lord. Don't you love that, that worship is an act of your will? It's part of your want to, that you will exalt the Lord. It says, I will exalt the Lord. For you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord You, his faithful people, praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. I love this psalm so much and just as I've been spending time with it over this last week because it gives us incredible insight into who God is in this idea that God loves to deliver people who need help. That's at the very nature of who God is, rescue and redemption. This is who God is, and this is what he loves to do. He loves to rescue people who need help. You see it in these first few verses. I will exalt you, Lord. Why? For you lifted me out of the depths, and you did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I call to you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. God loves to rescue people, to deliver people who need help. It, this is just, it's in his nature. It's what he does. If you look through the story of Scripture, you see this time and time again early in the book of Genesis. Actually, a year ago, uh, if, we were, if you were around back, th- back then with us, I, we talked about Joseph, right? The story of Joseph. And God used Joseph to deliver uh, his family. They were, they were up in Israel, and there was a famine in the land. But through crazy circumstances, not the way Joseph probably would have planned it himself, uh, but through a lot of hardship, God, brought Joseph down to Egypt, eventually put him in a place of authority. And because of that, he made a way for his family when famine hit the land for his family to be rescued and to be saved. God is a deliverer. And he uses people to do that. But in that land, in Egypt, you know the story. If you've been around church for a long, long time, the nation of Israel grew to a lot of people, and the Egyptians are like, "Oh, we don't, we don't like this," and so they oppress the people and they enslave the people. But God is faithful to His people, and He raised up someone named Moses. And Moses, again, a lot of issues with Moses, but God raised him up to to be a deliverer for the people, and he led the nation of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. So God loves that. And David, even David, we're seeing this in his personal life. He's saying, God has done a lot in my life, and he has rescued me, not just like on a grand national level, but on like a real personal level. God has saved me, and all of this... All of this deliverance is ultimately leading us and pointing us to the person of Jesus, who Jesus, when he looks at you and me, and he says, these people need help. They are trapped. They're enslaved. They need a deliverer. God moves towards us in deliverance. This is a God-initiated type of deliverance. God pursues us. This is what the Bible says in 1 John four nineteen: that we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. The fact today that we can even come and proclaim our love and devotion to God, it's because he's already moved toward you and me and declared his love for you. That's, that's what he, he's done, he, that, that Jesus has come to us. He's pursued us, and, and, and maybe you're sitting here today, you're going like, I'm again, I don't know why I'm here, and the thing is, is God wants you to know he has not stopped pursuing you. The fact that you know someone in your office who loves Jesus, and then you met someone in your building who also does, and they seem actually kind of cool and normal, but yet there's something different about their life, and so somehow you found yourself in church today. Maybe you're even watching online because you didn't even want to come to the building, but you're kind of interested about it. The fact that you're even in this place today, and you don't know God, and you've got a lot of questions and a lot of problems with a lot of things, and God wants you to know he is pursuing you. And he hasn't stopped doing that, and he loves you. And so this is a God-initiated type of relationship. When you and I were helpless to our own selves, God has moved toward you. You see this in verse one. You lifted me out of the depths, and you didn't let my enemies gloat over me. God has moved towards us. The second thing we see here is that he responds to our cries for help. Don't you love that about God? You know, like even just being as a dad and like there's a lot of things going on, you finally get there and you're like, you know, you're sitting on the, the couch and you finally got your snack and your things and all this stuff, and then your kids are like, I need something, right? And you, you want to say as a parent, just being honest, you want to be like, get it yourself, <laughs> you know, right? God doesn't say that to you when you cry for help. God doesn't say, fix it, because he knows you can't. He knows that you can't do that, and so it says Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Another place in Psalm 40, it says this about God, that that I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. Isn't that awesome today that we've come to worship and to sing and to meet with a God who is inclined to hear what you have to say? The one who spoke everything into existence in the universe actually cares about what you're going through? that he is inclined toward you, and when you call to him, he responds to you. This is the nature of our God. He loves to deliver us, but he hears us when we call. And then it goes on to say that he lifts us up out of the pit, and that's really good news, but do you know how God lifts us out of the pit? In order for him to lift you out of the pit, that means God's gotta get in the pit. And God has gotten in the pit with us that the creator, this is the beautiful gospel story, that Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, he was made in human likeness. So the one who created everything, the one who made everything, he became like what he created so that you and I could have help and so that you and I could be delivered from our pit. And you may be sitting in this place today, and you are in a pit. You might be in a pit of shame, maybe even from what happened just a few hours ago last night. I don't know. But you are so trapped in shame, and maybe for you, it's, it's emotional baggage from, from past relationships, and you just can't seem to break it you just can't seem to get out of the cycle. Maybe it's toxic relationships, maybe it's hurt, maybe it's frustration, maybe it's anger, maybe it's an idol and you just, you are just so drawn to it and you can't seem to break it. And so God has, God, what's amazing is Jesus is not afraid of your pit. He's not afraid of what's down there. He's not afraid of what you're trapped in. And what the scripture tells us time and time again is that Jesus moves toward you wherever you are, whatever you're going through, and he will deliver you from the pit. He comes to you to bring you out. Bless you. It's a lot like Return of the Jedi. Now, I realize this is the second Star Wars reference made in this series, uh, last week, I think Ben called Saul Anakin Skywalker, and that's kind of cool. Um, you know, it's like crazy to think about Saul being like Darth Vader one day. Um, but think about this. It might have been, been a while since you've seen Return of the Jedi, but do you remember in the opening scene, at the end of Empire Strikes Back, it's a spoiler alert, but it's also like this movie is like older than me. So it's, if you haven't seen it, that's really on you. Um, so Han Solo frozen in carbonite. Fett takes him to Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt, gross. He's gross, right? (laughs) Den of thieves, like he's in Tatooine, and and here he is like trapped in the lair. And so, uh, you know, here come C-3PO and R2-D2 to save Han Solo. Obviously, we know they're not going to save Han Solo. So then Leia and Chewie try and save Han Solo. They get captured, and so what does it take? It takes, you know, da, 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 da. it takes Luke Skywalker to come all the way back to his home planet, but down into Jabba the Hutt's den of thieves. He comes all the way in there, and he actually goes down in a literal pit, fights a a scary looking monster and then they cap they end up capturing him right and they take them out into the wilderness and they're about to throw him down into a pit that's like you know like a this big thing's just trying to eat them up but what happens is is Luke enacts his like jedi powers and takes them all out you know kills job of the Hutt, and then and then rescues and saves everybody right this is this is us when you and I were helpless and frozen in our own sin and shame, and we needed somebody with supernatural strength to help us overcome our adversaries and deliver us to a safe place. This is what God does for you and for me, and because he does that, it's possible today for, you to, for your mourning to turn into dancing. Do you believe that? That it is possible you may be in the middle of it right now, and you might be in the, the midst of a really hard time. But it is possible today that God would turn your mourning into dancing. See, Jesus sees us in our state of mourning. He knows right where you are, he moves towards you, he gets down in the pit with you, and he comes to get us. The life is broken. The world around us is broken. I don't have to stand up here and try and convince you of that. You just honestly just open your phone, start scrolling. You see it, you feel it, you experience it. But of all the things that have been broken, the worst of all of it is that our, because of sin and shame and guilt, all of of our relationship with a holy God has been severed. And there's nothing you and I can do about that on our own. You see, But God has been, throughout all of human history, been moving towards us to rescue us. And in David's day, the way the people of God would worship was at the tabernacle. And I don't know if you know anything about the tabernacle, but it was this God- Initiated way of saying, I am going to call up a group of people uh, on the earth and they will be my people. And, and, and my presence the, would, would live in the most holy place of that temple. They called it the Holy of Holies. But in order to access the Holy of Holies, that there was this elaborate process of sacrifices that you would have to make. And so the people would have to acknowledge that say, we've got sin in our life. And so they would bring these sacrifices before the Lord through this tabernacle and priests would come in and one priest one day a year could come into the most holy place in the Holy of Holies. And you know what, you know how intense the Holy of Holies was? They tie a rope around his ankle, you know, because in case it was so intense that they'd have to pull him out because what separated God from everyone else was this veil. And there was a separation because his holiness is so intense for our brokenness that there has to be some type of covering, some type of protection. And that's what this veil was. But there was a separation because of that. And on the day that Jesus died, on the day that he was on the hill of Calvary and his blood poured out as a sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And when he died on the cross that day, what the scripture says is that veil tore from the top down. Not from the bottom up, not from what you could do, not from what your effort and your achievement and all these things, but it tore from the top down. That's grace, people. It's God doing something for you that you could never do on your own. You see, Jesus sees you in your mourning. He sees you in your, in your state of, of wailing and, and, and tears through the veil and runs to meet you to restore the broken relationship that's between you and God. You see, there is no separation anymore. We don't have to be alone. You don't have to be alone today. You can be reconnected with God in a relationship Through Jesus, it's possible. He brings redemption, freedom, and healing, which is why we have so many reasons to dance. We have so many reasons to sing. We have so many reasons to live our life in such a way that say, I was mourning, but then Jesus came to get me, he came into my pit, he lifted me out of that, he set me free, he's redeemed my life, he's restored me, and so I have a reason to sing. Is that anybody's story in this place tonight? I realize I said tonight. I'm a night person. Not a morning person, but here we are. Here's the thing. When your gospel is great, your songs get loud. When you have a great gospel in your life, your worship gets really, really loud Think about that. When, when, when God has, has moved into your life, that's what David is saying in this psalm. He's saying, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. Like I was in the pit, I was in the pit, but you pulled me out. So sing praises to the Lord, you, uh, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. On down at the end of verse 11, it says, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth. And what did you do? Clothed me with joy. That my heart, you did all of that for a purpose. I have a reason that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. God did this for me. What David is saying, he's saying, God did this for me and he can do it for you. So this is how we live our lives. This is how you walk through your life is to say, look what's possible. You know, your coworkers, your family members who are so far from God, when they look at your life and what they should see is what is possible when they know God. What's possible when you walk with God is that he has delivered me and he can deliver you too. I was trapped in sin and shame, and I know that you are too. I know that's the thing that you keep running into in life. I know that you're looking for satisfaction. I know you're looking for hope, and you can find it in Jesus. I found it in Jesus, and so can you. Me and Ansley were in a, a class, uh, we're, we're doing, we, we call them core classes uh, back at Passion City in Atlanta, and we're talking about the theology of worship. So this is kind of stuff that was like stirring in my heart uh, just coming up here this week. And uh, Pastor Louie, uh, who's one of my favorite, just hearing uh, preach and talk, he's taught me so much about worship and what it is. And, and, and he, he said this in this uh, meeting that we had on Wednesday, he said, you know, a lot of people would come and say, how do you get a great worship culture at your church? You know, do you come in and do you teach? I mean, certainly the Psalms do a lot of teaching about like, you know, sing to the Lord, uh, dance before the Lord, which maybe we need it. We have a breakout session later if anyone wants to come and um, I'm joking. Um, uh, Everyone's got a little nervous. They're like, I can do the pogo stick, but that's about it. You know, like just jumping up and down. Uh, a lot of dad dancing. Um, but do you, do you talk about that? You know, prayer and, and just, just all these things. And yes, you obviously can do those things, But what I loved is what he said is that, um, but when you're at a church where the gospel is alive and people are moving from death to life, you automatically will have a worship culture at your church. Because when you see people's lives get transformed by Jesus, when you realize that people were dead and now they're alive, you can't help but somehow respond to that you have to express your love and devotion to the one who came to save you. Have you, um, have you, like for example, have you ever been around a new believer? Like someone who just met Jesus? They're, they're kind of inspirational and kind of annoying all at the same time. Because they're always on 10 about everything they're like, they're like, yeah, but oh, it's so awesome. And like every time they come in here, they're like arms are up and they're like singing as loud as they can. But do you know why they're like that? It's because they know where they came from. They know what life was like without Jesus. Yes. And so they are awake and they are aware of what God has done in their life. Have you ever been around somebody who was trapped in an addiction? and God did a miracle in their life. Maybe they, they went through rehab and when they came out and they declare God's goodness and faithfulness in their life. And when you, when you hear that, when I say worship is loud, I do mean it needs to get like amplified loud. Like we need to like turn up the temperature a little bit. But also when you stand and you, when you hear someone talk about what God has done in their life, and it's just like, it like rails through you because you're like, I know their story. I watched it unfold. They were completely bound, and as I stand here and I interact with them, they are a different person because of what Jesus has done in their life. Do you know somebody like that? They have loud worship. It's because their gospel is really, really great. Maybe uh, you've been around somebody taking a big faith step. They're about to start a new job, or they just sense a new direction, and they're taking that step, and when you see them worship God, you're like, wow, I I. I, you know, I, see, I see these words that we're singing about trusting God with the unknown of everything and like they're actually doing that. That's like loud worship. Or let me tell you, some of the, for me, where, where I have experienced like some of the loudest worship of my life, I've, I've had the honor and privilege. I don't know how it happens, but I seem to get scheduled back home in Atlanta uh, to lead worship at a lot of funerals. And I don't know if you've ever been to a, a funeral of, of a family or somebody who knows Jesus, it is powerful. If you wanna see where the rubber meets the road and all these things that we're talking about, go to a funeral of somebody who loves Jesus. And you will see that when uh, a husband and wife are burying their, their daughter and they're singing a song like the, ble- the Blessing, and they're believing that God is for you and that God is for them, even in that moment, And they're declaring that out with arms raised as tears are coming down their face because there's sadness. This is what David said. He's not, this isn't some plastic, you know, Christian whatever. This is saying weeping may stay for the night. It can be sad and hopeful at the same time because it says rejoicing comes in the morning. And when you know Jesus, you know the morning is coming. The morning is coming for you. And so I've stood there with parents burying their children and and daughters burying their mom and and, and singing a song. We were singing a song about the love of God being our firm foundation and saying, I'm not shaken. Could you say that? Is that your confession? Do you know Jesus like that? And one of the, the, the one that I will stay with me forever is in the early days of Passion City. There was basically a college kid. I can't remember exactly how old. He may have been 20, maybe. And cancer had ravaged his entire body. Like he couldn't come anywhere. So me and uh, Brad Jones, our uh, pastor in Atlanta, we, we went to his house and we sat with him and we sang with him barely could move his mouth, barely could raise his hands. And you know what he was singing about that day? He was singing about God giving us beauty for ashes. Meanwhile, his body is failing and it's breaking. This is the kind of hope that doesn't make sense. And it's got to, It's the kind of hope that, that changes the world. And to be honest, it's the kind of hope the world needs right now is every system it seems like in the world around us seems to be breaking and failing, and and, and we're, we're just seeing the cracks in it all. And what God wants to say in the midst of that is there is a hope that's greater. There is a hope that's greater. There is a God who has come to deliver. There is a God who pursues you. There is a God who responds to you when you cry out. So come on, let's not get so familiar with the gathering. Let's not get so familiar with being in this space that we just stand up when the music comes on, that we just listen, and then we go out and we're not affected by any of it but we've come into this place today to meet with an almighty God, a God who redeems, a God who restores, a God who lifts us up, who gives us beauty for our ashes and who has come to rescue you today. You are a worshiper, so let's worship the only one who is worthy of our worship. Our life and our songs tell the story about what God has done for us, that he's totally met us in our pain. He's met us in our hurt. And because of Jesus dying on the cross, because he rose again, he has transformed our lives forever. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC Podcast.